0: Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Gart. This morning I want to speak with you about Jewish faith. And I want to chat with you about the topic known as what happens after I die. What do the Jewish people believe about after our life on earth ends? It's not a simple answer. Unfortunately, the history of the Jewish people is such that there has not been a Sanhedrin for nearly 2,000 years, and so there is no definitive answer. But I do want to share with you some of the thinking that has been the underpinning and foundation of the answers for this question. Death transcends human comprehension. No one has ever had the experience of death. Even those who claim they have died and come back can, in truth, speak of only a near-death experience. Because of the limitations of the human mind, a genuine understanding of death will inevitably elude even the wisest amongst us. The Reform Prayer Book, the prayer book of the Reform Jewish movement known as the Gates of Prayer, writes the following... What can we know of death? We who have trouble understanding life. Judaism regards death as an inevitable part of life. Just as we are born, so we must die. Psalm 89 verse 49 says, What man can live and not see death? No one and nothing lives forever. Thus we accept death, according to Jewish tradition, however grudgingly. The rabbis of old expressed this notion by affirming in Pirkei Avot, one of the oldest sections of Mishnah, those who are born are destined to die. You were created against your will, despite your wishes to live, and against your will you shall die. In rabbinic thinking, the writings of the rabbi from the first century before the Common Era through the fifth century of the Common Era Life and death are usually seen as a parallel process. Let me quote to you from a midrash of the rabbis, a story that's meant to explain to us serious issues. As a man enters the world, so he departs. He enters it with a cry and departs from the world with a cry. He enters the world with a sigh and takes leave of it with a sigh. It has been taught in the name of Rabbi Meir, when a person enters the world, his hands are clenched, as if to say, the whole world is mine, I shall inherit it. But when he takes leave of it, his hands are spread open as though to say, I have inherited nothing from the world. Commenting on a verse in the creation story, Genesis 1 verse 31, it was very good, one of the rabbis interpreted the phrase to mean that death is an integral part of the natural order, which of course is good. Intellectual acceptance of death does not, however, allay human anxiety about our final destination. Intellectually may realize that if there were no such thing as death, soon there would be no room on this earth for further births. The reform prayer book for the holy days of the Jewish people, Gates of Repentance, speaks of it this way. If some messenger were to come to us with the offer that death should be overthrown, but that with one inseparable condition that birth should also cease. If the existing generation were given the chance to live forever, but on the clear understanding that never again would there be a child or a youth or first love. Never again, new persons with new hopes, new ideas, new achievements, ourselves for always, and never any others. Could the answer be in doubt? But emotionally, as the modern Orthodox rabbi Maurice Lamb points out, this is the crisis of life. How a human being handles death indicates a great deal about how that person approaches life. As there is a Jewish way of life, there must consequently be a Jewish way of death. Judaism has responded to this deeply felt human need and throughout the ages tried to create patterns of thought and actions to help us face the death of a loved one and prepare to go on living. It is almost impossible for those of us to fathom living a purposeful life forever. In fact, The recognition that our days are numbered gives us perspective. One rabbi wrote, I often feel that death is not an enemy of life, but it is friend. For it is the knowledge that our years are limited, which makes the years we have so precious. According to this rabbi, this precious quality of life is a major source of creativity. In the words of the prayer book, Just because we are human, we are prisoners of the years. Yet that very prison is the room of discipline in which we, driven by the urgency of time, the finitude of our life, create. We recognize in the Jewish tradition that life is finite. However, The pursuit of immortality has been a dominant theme of all religious literature. In one of the oldest epics in the ancient Near East, a powerful king named Gilgamesh learns the secret of how to defy death from the great hero of the Babylonian Deluge, Pitin. However, when a serpent snuffs out the fragrance of the magical plant the king is about to eat, his dream of immortality is dashed, and he resigns himself to his fate as a mortal. In a similar Babylonian story, Adapa, the caretaker of the city of Irudu, misses a chance to obtain immortality when the gods trick him. Though bitterly disappointed, Adapa becomes the wisest of people, thereby, according to this story, achieving a measure of consolation. Even in the ancient Hebrew Bible, a piece of cognate literature which knew of the Gilgamesh and knew of Babylonian stories, the issue of immortality causes discord between God and the first human beings. You will remember that having eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and bad in the story of Genesis, Adam readies himself to eat from the tree of life and thus to live forever. But at this point, Genesis 3, chapter verses 22 through 24, God intervenes and says, And now Adonai said, Now that the man has become like one of us, knowing good and bad, what if he should stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever? So God banished him from the garden of Eden to till the soil from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed east of the garden of Eden, the cherubim, the fiery ever turning sword to guard the way to the tree of life. Judaism, therefore, has always taught that human beings are destined to die. Early or late, all must answer the summons to return to the reservoir of being. There is a poem by Alvin Fine, which is often used in funeral services. Let me quote it for you. Birth is a beginning and death a destination, but life is a journey, a sacred pilgrimage made stage by stage from birth to death to life everlasting, and yet humanity has persisted in probing the mysteries of death. In spite of the recognition that our life on earth is finite, we continue to ask, questions, perhaps for no other reason than simple curiosity. The unknown we face at life's end challenges our reason and imagination. Simple curiosity, however, may be an insufficient motive to explain our human concern for what happens when we are no longer drawing a breath. Perhaps These five reasons offer some insight into why Jewish tradition recognizing the finality of life continues to offer insight to human beings. One, we fear death. We know the difference between sleeping and death, and we are afraid that the latter will carry us off forever. Two, our deep sorrow when people dear to us we love pass away. We yearn to know what happened to our deceased loved ones. We care for them in death almost as much as we cared for them in life and sometimes even more. Three, our deep love for life. This makes us wonder not only what happens in life, but in death as well. Our desire to remain creative. We seek to know whether or not death terminates our achievements And lastly, perhaps our convictions that righteousness must prevail over injustice, that the thrust of moral evolution will continue, pushes us to understand the meaning of immortality. These and similar concerns have propelled human beings to look beyond life on earth. Jewish thinkers like those in other religions have formed various viewpoints, None of them, however, represents the with a capital T, Jewish answer. Though life beyond the grave in some form was affirmed by the early rabbinic sages and Jewish philosophers, there has always been room within the pantheon of Jewish belief for further explanation. There is, of course, no proof of life beyond the grave. Some Jewish thinkers, in fact, have suggested that the idea of the hereafter is psychologically motivated, a projection of human need, a wish fulfillment. In an essay entitled Past and Future, Asher Ginsburg, known by the pen name Ahad Ha'am, argued that the individual must die, but not the nation— the individual dies, die he must. All his hopes for the future cannot save him from death. But the nation, and in this case, Ahad Ha'am speaks of the Jewish nation, has a spiritual threat of life. And physical laws do not set a limit to its years or its strength. And so let it, but make the future an integral part of itself though it be only in the form of fanciful hope. Much of what Ahad Ha'am was referring to, of course, was the messianic dream of Zionism, the creation of an eternal Jewish state in this world. In this essay, Flesh and Spirit, Ahad Ha'am maintained that desire for existence forces people, and I quote, To seek consolation not only against the suffering of life that's theirs today, but also against the bitterness of death that tomorrow will bring. Not finding what they want in the real world. They arrive finally at the idea of a world beyond nature and transfer the center of gravity of their ego from the body to the soul. Sigmund Freud who lived in the late 19th and earliest 20th century, the founder of Psychoanalysts, took this idea a step further, arguing that religious dogma, including the belief in a future life, is simply an illusion. Wish fulfillment, he writes, is a prominent factor in its religious dogma's motivation while disregarding its relations to reality. Freud, of course, was born of Jewish parents, but rarely allowed his Jewish upbringing to interfere with his development of theories of the id and superego. Freud added that the whole idea of immortality is a sign of our despair and our limitation, invented to compensate for the misery of our life on earth. In reality, death is an annihilation, a return to inorganic lifelessness, he wrote. Religion, as the universal obsessional neurosis of humanity, he wrote, includes the belief in an afterlife as a way to satisfy the need for overcoming the existential problems of the day. In reality, Freud, who denied his religious upbringing, claimed a self-asserting individual has no need for a childish expectation of future life. In fact, he saw the idea of immortality as a way of retreating from the challenges of this world into the world of myth and fantasy. Freud was not alone in denying life after death. Among many religious thinkers, Jews and non-Jews. Among Jews, the most vocal is Rabbi Richard Rubinstein who wrote in a personal statement of Judaism, "'Even as a child, I believed that when I died, the whole world of my existence would disappear me. My world would last only as long as I did. I was convinced that I had arisen out of nothingness, and I was destined to return to nothingness. All human beings were locked in the same fatality. In the final analysis, omnipotent nothingness was lord of over all creation.'" Nothing in the bleak, cold, unfeeling universe was remotely concerned with human aspiration and longing. Even as a rabbi, he wrote, I have never really departed from my earliest primordial feelings about my place in the cosmos. If we agree with Rubinstein, and there are many rabbis who do and certainly more who they do not, we should not even hope for immortality. Instead, we can concern ourselves solely with the task of life. Rubenstein writes, Only death perfects life and ends its problems. God can only redeem by slaying. We have nothing to hope for beyond what we are capable of creating in the time we have allotted to us. Of course, this leaves room for much to do and much to create. Nevertheless, in the final analysis, all things crumble away into the nothingness which is at the beginning and end of creation. But not all Jewish thinkers who entertain doubts about the hereafter deny its existence. Those who express skepticism yet are unwilling to deny the possibility of immortality are called agnostics. They maintain that the human mind is incapable of knowing what lies beyond material phenomena and therefore refrain from accepting or rejecting its existence. One of the great contemporary Orthodox Jewish thinkers who has maintained an agnostic position on immortality is Rabbi Louis Jacobs of England. Now deceased, he wrote... Religious agnosticism in some aspect of this whole area is not only legitimate, but altogether desirable. As Maimonides says, we simply can have no idea of what pure spiritual bliss in the aftermath is like. Agnosticism on the basic issue of whether there is a hereafter would seem narrowness of vision believing we do of God. But once the affirmation is made, it is almost as narrow to project our poor early imaginings on the landscape of heaven. The people of the Near East, our people, my ancestors, entertained a plethora of beliefs about the hereafter. These ideas were rarely presented in a systematic fashion. They were generally appeared in either literary texts or in burial methods and mourning customs. It was only with the first flush of Christianity that the ideas of and beliefs about the hereafter were presented in a systematic fashion. In the prevailing Mesopotamian and Canaanite mythologies, the universe was divided into three levels, which is repeated in the Torah. The heavens, which were the domain of the high gods, the earth, which was given to the humans, animals, plants, and inanimate objects, and the lower sphere, conceived as a gigantic cave, which housed the dead as well as some of the gods. In those early ancient religions of the Mesopotamians and the Canaanites and the 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 Akkadians and the Canaanites, ancestor worship was an important component of religious life. Human beings on earth were believed to be in constant communication with the upper and lower realms. Public rituals and prayers were directed to the heavenly gods, While individual pleas were addressed to the inhabitants of the netherworlds, like other people in the ancient Near East, the Israelites had various conceptions of the hereafter. The Torah, the prophets, and the writings together make up the ancient Hebrew scriptures known as Tanakh, demonstrate an evolving understanding of life after death. The Israelites, the people of Abraham's descendants were influenced more by the beliefs of the neighboring Babylonians than by the Egyptians. And considering the nether world as a place of darkness, they seem to have rejected the optimistic Egyptian belief in a physical existence after death. The Israelites, however, did not subscribe blindly to Babylonian ideals preferring to shape their own view of life after death. They considered the Canaanite custom of making inquiries of the dead an abomination, as reflected in Deuteronomy 18, and rejected the offering of sacrifices to the dead, as as noted in Deuteronomy 25 and Deuteronomy 26. And while there is no single biblical view of afterlife, certain themes— reoccurred, forming a framework of ancient belief and values. Two basic ideas seem to dominate biblical thinking on life and death. One, God is life-affirming and the source of all goodness. One finds in the Hebrew scriptures few speculations about life after death and little preoccupation with the hereafter. The ultimate purpose in the Torah is to sanctify life, here on earth. But two, death does not represent a total annihilation of the individual, but a transition to a new kind of life, where people meet their ancestors, continuing to live in a shadowy kind of existence. This belief is reflected in the biblical saying that when one dies, one goes to one fathers, as seen in Genesis 15 or in Genesis 5:25 in which we read that the dead are gathered to one's kins. In the Bible, death occurs for two basic reasons: as a natural end of human life and as a result of sin. While we live 70 years or at most 80 says Psalm 90, Genesis 6: puts the length of human life at 120 years. After that, we return to the soil from which we came. Just as we were born, so we must die in due time. This is made clear in the biblical passages that many of you know of. Dust you are, and to dust you return. In Ecclesiastes, we read, in respect of the fate of man and the fate of beast, they have one and the same fate. Both go to the same place. Both come from dust and return to dust. And in 2 Samuel, we read, We must all die. We are like water that is poured out on the ground and cannot be gathered up. The Hebrew Bible implies that the power of death can invade the sphere of human life, there spreading its influence. The line between life and death in the Torah is not clear-cut. A sick or injured person was often deemed to be in the hold of death. As we learn from the psalmist, have mercy on me, O God. See my affliction at the hand of my foes, you who lift me from the gates of death. A number of passages in the Torah, including the fifth of the Ten Commandments, indicates that observing God's laws and commandments may lengthen one's days. In Exodus, we read that the people who honor their parents will long endure in the land that God gives them. A law in the book of Deuteronomy states that if you happen to see a bird's nest with a mother's bird lying eggs, you must first let the mother go before taking the eggs. If you do so, then you will fare well and have a long life. The phrase is mostly known, of course, from the TV and movies of Star Trek. Similarly, a passage in Proverbs asserts that one who spurns in ill-gotten gains will live long. If long life was considered a reward, untimely death often was interpreted as divine punishment in the Torah. Again from Psalms, you surround them, the wicked, with flattery. You make them fall through blandishments. How suddenly are they ruined, wholly swept by terrors. In Job it says, the joy of the wicked has been brief, he perishes forever. The book of Genesis tells us that at the instigation of Eve, Adam ate. From the tree of knowledge. And God was displeased that a divine order was ignored and established toil and death as a punishment. By the sweat of your brow shall you get bread to eat until you return to the ground. We read in Genesis 3. Fearful that Adam might also eat of the tree of knowledge and become immortal. God took drastic steps, as I already mentioned, and drove the man out. The overwhelming message of the Bible is that death is final. After death, one is not expected to return to the earth. This teaching was dramatized by King David, who after the death of his beloved son, bathed and anointed himself and asked that he be served food. His courtiers were surprised by this change of attitude. They said, while the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you rise and take food. He replied, now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will never come back to me. I've just introduced you to some of the complexities of the Jewish way of understanding life and death. And in subsequent shows, I hope to give you a further explanation of how Jews have understood the mysteries of death and what comes after. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. wishing you good day. You can hear a rebroadcast of this as a podcast on iTunes or on the CHRI website. Shalom. (laughs)